Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jessica Holmstrom. Jessica is a full-time realtor in Calgary and is also Homes by Abby's in-house realtor. So Homes by Abby has been building homes for more than 45 years. They've won countless awards and they have a reputation of being a leading builder in Calgary and Edmonton. During the show, we talked about new home construction, home design and planning changes over the years, some turnkey legal suite options for investors, or for someone just looking to reduce their cost of living. Jessica was a lot of fun to talk with. She has a degree in design and has been involved with the designing and building of new homes for more than 15 years. What's great about a degree in design is that they also learn about home construction process, things like electrical, plumbing, and building envelope theory. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, Jessica, just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How's it going today? I'm good, Corey. How are you today? Thank you for having me on board. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're here. Can you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what's keeping you busy these days? I have been in Calgary for 25 years. I am an interior designer as well as a realtor. I've been in the new construction industry now for about 17 years. So homes are kind of my jam. That's awesome. And then so new construction, I know we're going to unpack this during the show. Not only you're a realtor, but then you're also representing Abby, right? So what would be your job description there? So I work with Abby as their in-house realtor. I assist them with their spec listings, any free lists that they do for their clients. I also assist their sales team in any way that they need. For example, I'm also doing market valuations for their clients or just helping out in general with some of the clients that they have it coming in buying their product. That's awesome. I can totally see how your education as well, because you have a degree in design and then you apply that and help you know design new home construction for all those years. I've got other questions I want to ask you, but maybe if we could just start off by you just kind of explain a little bit about that process of like what's involved. I know you're not just taking pillows and throwing, you know, nice white towels and stuff in the bathrooms. Like there's way more to it than that, right? So could you maybe kind of break down some of the differences and that there is a difference in a lot of people just call themselves a designer, but sure. obviously, yeah, if you could just explain that. I think the biggest difference that is sort of misunderstood by the public is you have an interior decorator and an interior designer. An interior designer has a degree. We go through a university program where we learn things like AutoCAD, building codes, plumbing, electrical. We have to be very savvy and sort of a touch point for all the trade. So we very much need to understand everything that goes into a home. A lot of people will refer to us more as interior architects, a bit more fitting for what we do. Designer is used in a lot of different ways. I mean, it's used in graphic design. It's used for architectural technology. So we sort of get lost a little bit. There is actually some provinces that have started regulating the use of that. But Alberta has not sort of crossed that bridge yet. So it's always good to ask if you're working with an interior designer, if they have that education and that ground, because there is a big difference between someone who's been trained. 100%. Like emails, from because I'm a realtor as well. And they come in and say, oh, you can get a design certification if you take our course, which is like a weekend warrior course, right? And then I could, right. you know, plug myself as design certified or something. But clearly it's a lot more in depth when you're doing a degree and like, because you, you guys, like you said, plumbing, electrical, building envelope stuff. So yeah. I think that's pretty cool. What kind of got you inspired to do that earlier on? So I was the girl at six years old that was, you know, moving my furniture around in my bedroom every week. And trying different things and my parents were 
the type that always bought and renovated and sold. So I sort of always lived that life. Definitely rubbed off on me. It's something that I've done in my own personal life as well. So yeah, I think that just sort of was bred into me growing up. I wonder if that's a sign. That's cool. Because my daughter, she's pretty independent. She's only 13. But there's times I go in her room and she's totally reorganized. Like her bed is on a different location. She's changed her desk location. And I'm like, oh, you know, I could have helped you, but she's so independent. And just if she gets tired of the space looking a certain way, and then she changes it. And like, it makes it like feel like a different room. And this happens probably every six months, I would say. You could very possibly have a designer in your hand. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. This question I know is a bit of a big one, but maybe if you could just give me a bit of a high level view, like I know it's a bit of a longer timeline as well, but like, so Calgary's got new subdivisions that are going around all around Calgary, different quadrants, right? If you can just maybe break down a bit of the process for like a home builder to get into a subdivision and that kind of thing, like just high level stuff. So, I mean, there's many different ways that things sort of take place. Many different ways that land comes into play. It can be, you know, a private seller selling some sort of family land. It can be something that's been in the books for a long time. A really good example that I would use right now is once Stony South opened up, there was Someone that purchased all the land now where you see Alpine Park and Vermilion Hill on that southwest side, that was purchased 20 or 30 years ago, and that's been landlocked until Stoney went through there. So the planning for that development happened, you know, many, many years ago, and we finally have access to that land. So that's been an interesting one. You know, sometimes land is bought 10, 15 years out, and sometimes it's bought when an opportunity comes up, you know, six months prior to a development taking place. I've even seen it happen to mid-development where another builder would come in. The biggest thing once that land is acquired is, you know, getting approval from the city for what the city is looking for. The city, you know, dictates what type of density that they're going to have in that development. They dictate what kind of product that they're looking for, what matches. I think most people notice more nowadays that we're doing not so much Communities where it's just a state or just one certain type. We're doing mixed density communities, you have townhouses, you have condos, as well as unattached. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of processes through the approval as well. And you'll see each year the city approves X number of developments to go forward. After that, you know, after they've sort of gone through the approval process, the builder itself either has to create products develop products for that product line or they would use something they already existing have. And once everything is sort of sorted out, then the site development starts. So you go in, you put in services, you put in your roads, your traffic lights, your sidewalks, and things like that. And then at that point is typically when you start to break ground. As you've seen in the city, you sort of watch things happening slowly to the land being clear. You know, it's not something that happens overnight by any means, but there is a timeline and a procedure. Have you seen any changes? Has the city of Calgary maybe streamlined their process a little bit? You know, have they reduced some bottlenecks or has anything changed in that way? I don't really think so. I, I see them improving more and more communities. I think they approved 14 communities this year, if I'm not mistaken. That's a lot. That's a lot of construction, a lot of building in our city. And the density has changed a lot. It's definitely getting much more dense. Now, I know high level, we're looking at Calgary and we're looking at the housing crunch and we're looking at the need for so much more housing, which plays a big part in that, right? But it also plays a big part in property taxes. And when you're developing a community, you have to consider what 
goes into that community. So what roads do you need? What access do you need? What does the city need to build to make that community successful and make community happen? So that's always part of the planning procedure as well, right? Have you seen like with the ring road, has that kind of opened up? Because I know like when you drive around the city, the only place that maybe that seems to be bottlenecked right now would be like the Northwest. I think there's that area just below Tuscany, right? There's some development. What's that neighborhood? That's uh, There's a few going on. There's Tuscany over there. There's Brooklyn Park. That's yeah, Rockland Park. And then as you go up, that would be by Tuscany, but as you go up Stony, there's a bunch of new areas. I have it on here, actually. So by Livingston, Lewis Town is coming, Lewisburg is coming, and that's all sort of on that northeast side yeah. of what's developed there. See, I can almost consider that north growth, but I know it's northwest still, because I just think of Bearspaw is kind of blocking the city growth west, right? You got yeah. a lot of kind of high-end acreages there, and it's going to be the NIMBY, right? You're not in my backyard kind of thing. It's still Northwest Quadrant, but they are heading north in that area, right? I see a lot more sort of in that east and west border in the north side, right? That's sort of where that development is coming up now. Heading towards Airdrie, obviously, would, yeah. would be, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And this makes sense from a design or development perspective, how they're changing, like more diversification where you have condos, townhouses, a big mixture, right? Which which yeah. totally makes sense. And amenities, right? So I'm sure you've seen over the years that has changed a lot where it's almost like now an area is designed, you don't even have to leave. Like if you could work from home, everything is in your quadrant. I agree. And I think we'll see it change more too, right? As things sort of change on our day-to-day lives. And when you want it to, you want things to progress. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's yeah. always a lot of talk about 15 minutes to be as well. Is it? Like that's a yeah. common thing to be kind of... Well, we may be GTA at some point, right? We all yeah. know that Okotoks has been set up to sort of be absorbed once we get that far. Their street numbers are set up. So Calgary's just going to run right into it. Oh, and is it really? It's it that is. far out? The, wow, I didn't know that. 200 and can't remember off the top of my head, but yes. Crazy. Well, in 2004, I built a new house in Chestermere and I thought, oh, Chestermere is definitely going to become part of the Northeast at some point. So now we're almost 20 years later and there's still a reasonable gap. I know Calgary is growing that way. Chestermere is growing towards Calgary, but yeah. there's still, I don't know, like a seven minute eight minute drive or so where it's all just kind of farmland in between right mm-hmm. but obviously if we go another 20 years from now maybe do you think that would be kind of touching i definitely think it's all happening in ontario and Vancouver for that matter right it just takes time it just takes time for that to happen that land is acquired next generation sort of move forward so yes i think it's coming yeah and then part of your i guess your experience and what you still do so i guess in part with the design would be like the floor plan when you would look at the layout and window placement, that kind of stuff on the interior, right? Have you seen many changes? So like when you were designing, started designing, say, 17 years ago, and now what's the evolution there of floor plans that you've seen? Like, obviously, we all know that style has changed, but like, what about the floor plan? It certainly changes as well, too. I wouldn't say it's quickly, but it really depends on what's going on in society. Very much say that. Oh, you know, way back, we used to have those little built-in desks beside your pantry, more closed rooms, you would have a dining room as a separate area. Those things aren't as common now in a typical family home. As COVID has happened, we've seen an interesting return to main floor offices. So we moved away from that for a long time. And in the last five years, we've sort of circled back around that. People really want that area in their home. And main floor bedrooms are becoming big again as well, as we're seeing more different generations living together. And there's different reasons for them. A lot of it is cost. I, mean, I would say a lot of it is cost. 
of land and homes get more expensive, we have to look at different ways that we're able to afford to live in a single family home or general. So that's been interesting. And you do always see, I mean, our homes and what we're doing are a reflection of what's going on in society, even the colors, right? The colors through following the pandemic brighter and a bit more upbeat and lively and fresh and clean, like almost in reaction to what we went through during COVID. So you can always step back and see the cycle. So that stark white and black will forever be remembered as that COVID. Is that really? Yeah. That's interesting. I don't have the eye for design, but I do find it fascinating. I'm trying. I'm like, I try to like be more observant for those things, Yeah. but it's certainly not my skills, but I can appreciate it. I was recently in some new show homes and I found that some of the styles, I just personally didn't like them. Like there was one bedroom that had all wallpaper of like rope. It was like, it looked like rope and the entire bed, not just a feature wall. It was like the entire primary bedroom. And I thought, who in the heck did this? Like, who's this appealing to? Like, I don't know. Like it was just, I think I'd have nightmares of rope when I fell asleep. Sure. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) I mean, show homes are meant to appeal to a very broad audience, right? So that surprises me a little bit that that was the direction they went. But I think the key principle to good design is that you don't notice it. Bad design sticks out with a sore thumb. Yes, it's just like this. For example, right? Exactly, yeah. Good design, it feels like it's the way it's meant to be. It's going to appeal to the most people and then people are going to be more likely to, I mean, enjoy the space and maybe even obviously buy it, right? You should be able to picture yourself at a home. You should be able to walk in and you feel comfortable and it feels right. That's successful design. Yeah, that makes sense. What you had mentioned there about the main floor bedroom, I saw one as well. I'm sure Abby does this, is the, you could take the front of the home and either put up a wall, it's it's a non-load bearing wall, and so you can have it as an office, Mm -hmm. or you put a closet in and you can have it as a bedroom. And then in the bathroom, instead of a two-piece, they put a three-piece in, right? Yeah, and I thought, wow, that is clever. Like, because I like the option, like a couple years back, I was in a ski accident and I was basically restricted to one floor, Right. right? So even if you're younger, or maybe they're not living with you full time, your parents, but they come to visit and mm-hmm. stairs are a challenge for them. So having that room, even if it is your office that you're, you know, using periodically as a bedroom, to me, if I was building a house, I would want that option on main floor. I think it's a really flexible space that you can use, you know, putting that closet in and that room can be sort of thinking ahead, right? And it can always be used as that, but you can use it as anything you want. So it's just a great option if you're building to make that consideration, I think. Yeah. Question about design, is granite something that people are still using or is it gone? Um, I mean, yes and no. Stone counters are something that is almost an expectation nowadays. Granites, certain granites aren't as popular. I would say we've gone more to the quartz era right now. I remember it was being introduced years ago and that was when I was building a new house and it seemed like the salespeople were trying to sell me on quartz and I was all about granite. I'm like, no, I like natural. It's like, I want a natural stone. But now that I've had a couple of kitchens with quartz, I actually like quartz. So granite is more porous, right? Granite is a natural product and it's more porous. Quartz is a natural product also, but it's been filled with typically like a resin, right? So it doesn't have the same porous qualities as granite. Certain granites also are very, very fragile. They can chip, they can crack. So quartz just has a longer lifespan and it's more durable in general. And you have more options of color, right? Because, you know, it's more of a man-made product. You can have more custom. Yeah, that makes sense. Quality, yeah. Okay, another design question. What's the deal with baseboards? It seems like I went into a recent build and the baseboards are so tiny. 
and the oh. trim is so narrow and small. Is that going to be a thing now? No, in my opinion. I mean, I would say different cultures do different things. I think there's certain countries that have more of a smaller streamlined look. Typically in North America, the bigger the baseboard, the higher in the property. So even even stay. today, so a 2023 house, you'd still see that thicker, higher profile. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say so. I think it's a cost thing. Typically, if you see a smaller that would make sense. That day. would make sense. Your per linear foot is going to be cheaper. So if it's in more of a spec home, hey, we can get trim on the wall at a lot cheaper cost, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. And then everybody seems to be dealing with bottlenecks in industry, like with the builders and stuff. Have you guys been dealing with that and seeing restrictions? So things have improved drastically from what we went through the last few years with supply issues, you know, shipping issues and just Demand. I mean, demand has been huge for three years and everything's been so scaled back in regards to, you know, the restrictions that have been going on. There has been lots of challenges for the building industry for at least the last three years. Now, as demand continues, everyone is, you know, we're starting to iron that out. Supply seems to be moving better. Shipping seems to be moving better. But if I can look back at this year where we started a bit quieter, you know, the market was still strong, but quieter with the interest rate increases. So February, March, you know, still good numbers, but nothing too crazy. As we got into April and May, we're starting to see record numbers again in the industry. So I know May was a record month and I believe July was a record month too. I'm not sure about June, but I know on the builder side of things, we're seeing double the typical number for sales within the month. So those start to create bottlenecks because there's only so many houses that you can process through. There's only so many new builds or new clients that you can push through, through all the different departments that it takes to put a house together and get it in the ground, right? And you'll start to see this out in the communities as well. Builders will slow their sales. They'll slow their lot releases because they just can't make the numbers work without hiring, you know, double the number of people that they're currently employing. There's no way to push that many houses through. So you'll see build times start to extend out a little bit longer. You know, a typical production build, I think we were nearing around that nine, 10 month mark. Now we're starting to push out again closer to 10 to 12. So it's taking a little bit longer for things to go through the office. You know, it'll take approvals longer. It'll take the city longer. You know, it's like rush hour traffic. Things are slowed down. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, the as a builder, you'd kind of protect yourself a little bit too. If like if you had say a hundred lots and you just pre-sell all of them, and then you run into these bottlenecks, and then maybe with inflation and costs and stuff, you know, the cost to build could also be climbing with inflation, that kind of thing. So obviously, yeah. being strategic, you're only going to release so many, and then kind of reevaluate yeah. as you move forward, right? Most land is, is broken down into phases, and it is very purposeful, right? You want to build in a way that's efficient. You want to build your house as well, according to how your trades are scheduled out and the availability that they have. You know, there's always a middle ground that is the most effective and efficient number of homes to be building. So they do look at that. You'll see community phases on them for as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And then subdivisions, that, for, I guess, specifically is Abbey in. Like what areas around Calgary are, are you guys building new houses in? So Abbey is in quite a few areas. Abbey's been around for a really long time. So this is actually Abby's 45th year this year. They've oh. been a huge part of the Calgary building industry for a long time. 
You want me to go through the whole list? Okay. So before you were born, Abby was building houses, basically. Before I was born, yeah. <laughs> Abby was building houses. Not by much. <laughs> Not by much. But Only 10 years, right? <laughs> 10 or 1 or something. <laughs> That's right. I don't think I was, what do they say? I was just a speck in my mother's eye. I don't think I was quite that. I think I was on my way, but... That's right. So sorry, I kind of sidetracked us there, but so yeah. for 45 years, and then you said there are multiple subdivisions. Multiple around. subdivisions and multiple different product types. So Abby does multifamily, which can include apartment style. They do townhouses. They do semi-detached, which would be duplex products. They do laying homes. So where you have the front entry and you can do a detached garage in the back. And then front attacks as well. This year, they're building downtown in Mission. They're doing a concrete build, so more of a high-rise style product. It's the first one in Calgary that they're doing. So it will be, you know, a new experience for Abby. It looks like it can be a beautiful building and a great area, right? Mission is a beautiful area in the city. Yeah. They have many different communities from, you know, Airdrie, all throughout all quadrants of the city. A lot of my listeners are investors, but obviously it could also be just people interested in real estate. So Maybe if you could just step through the process, I know like obviously if you buy used, you don't have to pay GST, that kind of stuff. But if I'm going to go to a builder and even like down payment can be different if you're going to live in it or not live in it. So can you kind of maybe just kind of explain that process of the purchase and what would be required to basically lock in a new home? Absolutely. Doing a new construction deal that is very different and there is advantages to it, of course. You only have to come in with 5% deposit. And typically, if you're doing a 5% deposit, you would as well have to do a mortgage letter of approval for the balance. There is also something called a builder's interest rate. So you can hold a different interest rate than what is typical, and you get that longer period. So you don't get that 120-day rate, you get a 12-month rate. And then the other option is, if you have a bit more debt, you can put down 10%, and there's no mortgage letter required. And that is the balance of what you put down until the point that you take possession of your home on completion. That's kind of nice to know because if, you know, an investor that's being strategic and they know that maybe they're going to sell a property or, or they're yeah. going to pull equity from a home, but maybe at this moment in time, they couldn't just walk in and get approval for that mortgage. But knowing the numbers, knowing what's going to happen, they have the 10%. So they can lock in the deal knowing things are going to yeah. change over the period of that build time and basically, you know, get approval at that point, right? Yeah, and we saw people last year with 20% gains last year in equity. We saw people from the time they, you know, their house went in the ground to the time they took possession, they were making massive uh, gains in equity in that time. So it can be a very lucrative investment in this one. There's definitely risk that are involved as well. We've seen people do that with condos in the past and stuff and not, you know, as long as it keeps going up, everything's good. But if there's ever a pullback, you know, you could be... Losing some money, right? So just so listeners know, there's certainly always risk involved with that. Definitely. Now, let's say if I'm an investor and I don't plan on living in this property, I'm just going to rent it out. What do you require for down payments? So you do have to do the 10%. The other difference is the GST becomes different. So there is GST rebates right now if you're living in the home. As an investor, you would not be able to apply for that GST rebate. The GST rebates right now are up to $450,000. Really? So if I buy a brand new house and I'm going to live in it, I'll get my GST back with the Up rebate? Up to $450,000, yeah. Like, how do you mean? Like, of the purchase price? Or what's of the... the... Yeah. Okay, I, oh, I see. Program, you have to I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So if it's a $700,000 house, the difference there, you're not going to get rebate on that difference. Okay, that makes sense. That's good information to know too. And then 
one thing I think that we see now more than ever is we're seeing a lot more legal suites, you know, in these subdivisions, right? Where builders yeah. are putting them in. And it's great for investors. It's great as a mortgage helper if you just want to live upstairs and rent the basement. So can you maybe go through some of that without you guys are some Abbey kind of legal suite at properties you guys have? So the majority of new homes that I'm dealing with nowadays, when they are planning the community, they're considering doing a siding. So looking at the lot, as you know, we're dealing with a lot of zero lot lines right now. This is sort of part of our new reality with land being more expensive and community density being tighter. So, you know, part of that planning, we're planning in those side entries, those separate entries, so you can develop the basement suite. Most builders, I would say, are offering a package as well to do that as part of the build, as part of the new construction build. So it's very turnkey for a buyer when they take possession of the house. It's great. I think it's super clever. When I see those I side entrances, yeah, it's great. I do too. It has been a bit of a challenge for the industry in regards to getting it done. We're already very tight on trade. So adding another level to that, it's taking longer. It's taking longer to build because of the yeah. But I think it's an excellent opportunity. With the housing crisis that's happening, yeah, it makes more affordable living. Instead yeah. of just having one house on that lot, you have now have two, right? Two properties. And you can do a one bedroom or a two bedroom, that kind of stuff, right? Depending on the footprint of the property, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It really depends on that basement footprint. Separate heating source, all that stuff that the city would require to legalize, that's obviously built right into it, into the product. If I was looking at a house, I'm like, oh, walk in, talking to a builder or someone like you, Typically, what do you see for a jump in price to have a legal suite underneath you? Of course, different square footage, different finishing. I would say on average, you kind of nailed it right there. Between 60 and 80, I think it's typical. But Is that typical? Getting it done by the builder. But they're taking all the considerations in place, right? They're doing all the fire separations. They're doing the separate heating sources. They're doing, you know, the secondary appliances. All those things are thought of and included in that footprint. I think it's much more expensive to do it after the so I feel like the value is there for it. Oh, I agree. Because, you know, if you just take a basement and develop it, it's certainly not free or cheap. No. You're probably $50,000 anyway yeah. like, to finish it and have it drywalled. And, you know, so it's not a big difference if you think about just, hey, I want to develop basement or I actually want to suite in it and supplement my income Absolutely. right, or reduce my expenses kind of thing, right? And you can certainly use that as your basement still for the time being. I mean, if you're not forced to use a suite, but I think having that potential there adds value to your home. Oh, yeah. It's, it's another really strategic way, you know, the builders have kind of shifted, right? Mm. What kind of percentage are you seeing a lot more demand for just in the general public, like not just investors? Yeah, it's very commonly a question I'm asked. At a very minimum, people are wanting the nine-foot ceiling height in the basement and that separate entry included, as well as the rough-ins, right? So those basics are there. They want the potential at a minimum. Maybe they can't afford to add that suite up front with their budget, but they want to have everything set up so when they do have the funds to do it, that they can. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, this was a while back, and I can't speak to the area, but it was an Airdrie. I can't speak to the subdivision, but I know that in a subdivision, they had suited homes, like kind of roughed them in, right? So, hey, you've got all the things you said, so you can put a suite in, but then if you didn't do it with the builder, you actually still had to go and get approval from the city like afterwards to and, suite it. And you do still have to get a permit from the city. The builder is just setting you up with all those items off the checklist, right? But I had heard actually that it may not be approved, at least in this energy situation, that it may not be approved because of parking. So if you wait it, yeah. because there were so many of them and like, okay, we'll rough it in, it's ready to go. But if you delayed, 
maybe live in it for a couple of years and other people have already suited theirs. Sure. I heard that there was a risk of yours not being approved. Have you heard of stuff like that? I mean, they make their own decisions. The city of Airdrie makes their own decisions when compared to the city of Temporary, right? They have had different guidelines in regards to suites. They were pushing back on it a bit more, but I'm sure you've noticed and everyone else has noticed, Airdrie has grown substantially and maybe something that they do need to look at. But there certainly was some pushback on legal suites out yeah. there in Airdrie. You know, I can get that too. I guess it's the NIMBY, but if I was buying in a house and I want a single detached, like years ago, like when we built the starter home and now in the new subdivision, the density, the parking, like, so everything's squeezed together. Parking like between, you know, the grass space that used to be there seems like it's missing. Doesn't feel like it's there anymore. No. And now, so you look at the street and it's busy. And then like, if all these suites are going in and then maybe if there's a two bedroom and both people need a vehicle, I I don't know where people are going to park. Like, I guess some cases it's close to like where the train's going to be, that kind of thing, the future train line, like which yeah. people can walk, right? You know, maybe eliminate a vehicle, but it could be a little bit frustrating finding parking. I think it is going to be something that definitely will need to be looked at, certainly. Another interesting thing I've seen in a few of the newer communities is we're seeing back lanes, the front garage product. So you're almost getting more opportunity for rear parking. If you did have a suite, maybe part of that rear lane access could be the secondary suite downstairs. Mm-hmm. Now, it's definitely not everywhere, but I have seen it in a few new developments, and I think it's an interesting approach, right? It relieves some pressure from those main streets as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know like for a lot of investors I work with, for a, a cash flow perspective, uh, you know, you get the suite upstairs down, so you rent those out, and then you look for the detached double car garage, and you either offer it to your tenants or you rent it out as storage, say to three to $400 a month. And that increases your cash flow, right? But in these scenarios, I think as an investor, if you buy one of those, you really want to just ensure that your tenants are paying for it and they have parking because they're going to need it. Because renting them out as storage units is just going to create more problems for parking, right? And I wonder if some of these lots could even accommodate a secondary garage. Your lot would need to be big enough, of course, right? But I mean, just an interesting thought going forward. Maybe you can have a garage for each suite. Yeah, that's true. I just to circle back. You said that there's a builder's rate hold. You can get one, right? So you said, yes. do they lock it in like what a current interest rate would be? Yeah, they do lock it in for a 12-month period. There is certain circumstances, like what we went through the last couple of years, where you may have delays. And that 12-month period may extend to 13 or 14 or 15 months. Sometimes, especially with condos as well, where you see a longer building time in the multifamily area. It depends on the lender, of course. I have some circumstances where the lender will extend once. So they'll extend that rate hold. If you exceed that 12 months, they will extend past that. And typically they are a bit higher rate. But if you consider they're taking more of a risk, right? They're giving you a rate for four times longer than the typical rate. So yeah, I and, find that very fair, though. And then I've heard things about escalation clauses. I don't know how common they are. With new builds or maybe could you explain what an escalation clause is and are you seeing them very often with builders so we saw them i would say more into the second year of covid so we went from a situation where this is the cost to build a home very static very consistent there's always little ups and downs but typically a builder would absorb we went from static prices to as we all saw with lumber extreme variances in what costs and then as well, the ability to get things too. So carrying costs, the price of product and material, and the price of even just trades because we have less people working. 
the cost to build a home skyrocketed yeah. up to 30% in some cases. And in a lot of cases, the builders were just expected to keep that, right? They're losing 30% of their profit, but maybe not even making a profit in some cases if they're not much, right? So we actually saw some builders in the industry that were changing their contracts to say that if these prices increase, you know, we may have to pass that on to you in some aspect. You may be responsible for some aspect. Now, it definitely was not an across-the-board thing with builders. Some did it, some did not. I know I did not do any escalation clauses, and I don't will ever do any escalation clauses. It unfortunately is part of the business, right? There are always highs and lows in the business. There are times when you're making money and things are great. And there are times like any entrepreneurial adventure where you're not, right? So you, you plan for those. And I do respect that because I think it was hard for everyone investing through that period, buyers and the builders yeah. themselves, right? Yeah, like a piece of two by four, you go into Home Depot or Lowe's and you're like, wow, a $12 for this thing? Um <laughs> <laughs> from what? From $4, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's $4 like... to $12 in a very short time. So as you can imagine, on a wood frame home, even getting two by fours was really home time for builders. They were yeah. buying mass amount up front to just build out a phase, right? And once that was gone, that was it. That was it. It's hard enough to find a straight two by four. I couldn't imagine during when there's hardly right. any. <laughs> I haven't seen one of those in four years. A bunch of ski poles. <laughs> Last question. I was kind of curious about purpose-built apartments. I know Edmonton has a lot of them where instead of building condo building and they're going to sell the units, they're never going to sell it as a condo. Yeah. They're just going to rent it out. That's all they're going to do. So there's definitely a few of those. They are doing them, but it's more of a low-income type of thing. And then Trico was actually doing them. Trico was doing one off McLeod right now by Shaughnessy. Okay. That's yeah, a built rental. Because Edmonton seems like, well, their housing is more affordable and their rent is actually more affordable. And it's known to have more purpose-built apartments that are built into the, you know. But I feel like it, you're kind of cutting people out of ownership, right? Like they don't have a chance to own a condo and and have that private ownership. So there is a place for them. But I like the idea of condos and allowing people to have a home ownership. And you see it go the other way, too. I mean, you see rentals turn into condos as well, right? Yep. You see people buy up those apartment buildings and... and convert them into condos so that's true yeah we do see that it kind of goes both ways yeah we do see it here and there is certain builders that usually bid on a project like that and get involved in it not as common not as common okay so we're getting close to the end i just want to ask you a bit more personal questions okay. what do you like doing outside of real estate doing like i know you've been doing a long time you got the design experience yeah what kind of stuff do you like to do so when I give myself some downtime to go out and play, I am actually kind of a bit of a bush kid. I'm from Northern Ontario, I was born and raised on the lake. So I like to get back out on the lake. You know, we head out to the beach, we do fishing, we do, you know. We're in Ontario. I'm from Lake of the Woods. So I'm from Nora, Ontario. Nice. It's a beautiful part of the world, for sure. So I'm That's an Ontario awesome. at heart. I've <laughs> been back. here for 26 years now. You must miss the water, though. I do incredibly. Yeah, I do. And I, I know home every summer from other like talking to you and other times you said like the grocery store has a dock next to it and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super cool. There's so many people that live out, spend their summers in cabins at the lake. So they have to come in and do their laundry and do their groceries. And I mean, some cabins have service, but a lot of them do not. So yeah. you're okay. rocking it. You're going to have to throw another one your way. What's better, a Mercury or Evanrude? <laughs> Mercury. 
Okay, so Johnson, come on. Oh, sorry, I did, I missed out Johnson. Can you share, like, do you have a favorite book or movie? You know, I do. I have tons. I'm a big reader. One that I picked up actually recently to reread, though, was Atomic Habits. It's one that I really enjoyed, and I know it's a few years old now. I've circled back around to that this year, and I think, I think I've fallen off my path a little bit. I think we all sort of go through those stages when we get busy. We get out of routine a little bit and I've actually just picked that back up. And I think it's James Clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. I mean, if you haven't read it, highly recommend. Yeah. I read it a number of years ago. I should circle back and reread yeah, it. Yeah. It's a good one. And how about somewhere you'd want to travel, like on a bucket list that you've never been? Mm, you know, Barcelona, Spain is definitely on my list. The architecture and the history there is just something that sort of speaks to my background and the things that I'm interested in. I'd love to see Rome. Yeah, that history and that architecture is really beautiful. Definitely. And the water. I mean, yeah, I hope the in Spain are yeah. incredible. The combination, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So website, are you on Instagram, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So website, designer real estate.ca, or I try to stay up on social media. It's designer real estate YYC. You can find me at either of those and feel free to come online anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I think you provided a ton of value. And yeah, uh, yeah and it's, I think it's great information for listeners that may be looking to get a, you know, a new build, the legal suite, that kind of stuff too. Thank you, Corey. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been great chatting today. For sure. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.